I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the mega cap bounce back. Why some are calling Apple's event tomorrow the company's biggest in years. We debate your money today with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour are Joe Terranova, John Nigerian, Bryn Talkington's managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. And Kevin O'Leary is the chairman of O'Shares ETFs. We begin with that higher move for stocks today. The Nasdaq coming off its best week since early July. Led by, as Carl just said, Apple, now at its highest level in more than a month. Joe, a nice ramp into that big event tomorrow. Yeah, and I was supposed to give up my mega cap growth and shift into value, wasn't I? That was the strategy that was being uh, communicated over the last five days. Look, I, I completely disagree with that. I dismissed it last week. Mega cap growth is where investors should be. You should not be selling your holdings there and reallocating towards what are the S&P laggards today, the uh, energy names or, or some of the money center banks. This is where you're going to see the continued revenue growth. This is where you're going to see the correlation from work for ho- from home, stay at home or work from anywhere, as Josh Brown rightly identifies it. And this is where moving forward over the coming quarters, you're going to find your best returns. Kevin O'Leary, Joe's right, isn't he? Every time somebody tries to say that big cap is tired, now it's time to rotate. They come roaring back and they're doing it this month. They're doing it right now. Well, Joe's right about mega cap, but not right about growth in Apple. Apple actually doesn't have revenue growth. The reason Apple is owned by everyone, and I mean everyone, is number one, it's a play on 5G, no question about that. Number two, you're making the assumption as you own it, even though you're not being rewarded by revenue growth, which you can find all over the tech map, just not at Apple, is that it's going to continue to grow its services margin. Highly profitable, keeps growing because people are encapsulated by the platform and they keep buying more products and services. But it is not, and hasn't been for years, a revenue growth story. Will that come back to haunt it one day? I don't know. But I own it and I take that risk along with everybody else. Doesn't 5G though, and this event tomorrow, Kevin, jumpstart that growth again, especially in the phone business? You know, the 5G story and and the actual technology that's being released tomorrow is really boring. It doesn't even have a high-speed refresh rate on the screen. If If you want tech, if you want cutting-edge technology, it's not Apple. I mean, you know, I almost feel like I'm going to get shot with arrows for saying this, but they're always a step behind on their hardware, but nobody seems to care about that anymore. The reason you own Apple is everybody knows how to use it, and it has at least an opportunity to use 5G if and when that comes, because right now you're buying the phone way ahead of the network service. You may actually get a whole new iteration of hardware from Apple, like a 120 reset reset screen rate, which I would prefer. You know, I'm not a heavy-duty tech guy, but I know the difference between 60 hertz and 120. I'd rather have the higher res, the higher speed. Didn't get it this time. I can't believe it. You can get it from Samsung. You can even get it from the knockoffs in China, but you can't get it from Apple. I don't want to be too critical, but there's really nothing exciting here on the hardware. <laughs> I don't want to be too critical, but the revenue's not growing. The, the phone's boring. The event tomorrow's not that big. Mm. You sound like Steve Weiss. Oh, but I own the stock because I love to reap the rewards of ownership of Apple. <laughs> yes, I own the stock, but I'm telling everybody to be careful because it is not a mega cap growth stock. It is a mega cap stock. There's no revenue growth. 
Look, the king has no clothes on revenue. It's true. Don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. All right. So John Ajarian, Katie Huberty says the event to tomorrow is, is, quote, the most significant iPhone event in years. You know, Apple's ramping into the number. Uh, you get a price target today, raise over at RBC. They reiterate, outperform. They go to 132 bucks. The stock right now, highest level since September 4th. Are we overhyping the event tomorrow? Is Katie Huberty overhyping what's going to happen tomorrow with this new iPhone and 5G? Not at all, Scott. In fact, uh, today's outperformance has taken it back up to number one in my portfolio. Again, not because I'm smart, but because that outperformance means it leapfrogs over even a great performance out of Microsoft today. Um, and I want to stick with Microsoft for a second, Scott, because Satya Nadella really came up and changed things the way Microsoft had been operating and the way they deliver the technology and the platforms that they deliver. Everything from Excel and Word to all the other things that Apple, I'm sorry, that Microsoft does. Now look at what Tim Cook's doing with Apple One. Apple One is going to be huge. So to my good friend, Kevin O'Leary, I'll say you want revenue growth, you're going to get it in spades here, Kev, because you're talking about taking six of their services, one of which already has a billion users. That's the iCloud, Scott. Then all of a sudden you throw in Apple Music, um, Apple TV with that great, you know, breakout show, the uh, movie rather, with Tom Hanks, Greyhound. Fantastic. Um, so you've got six different services, including fitness, including news in there that you get for one price, Scott, and you can get it across five different devices. You can get it just for yourself personally for 14 bucks a month. You can go all the way and go whole hog and get it, like I say, for five devices, the whole family or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that's like 25 bucks or something like that. Scott, when you already have a billion people on iCloud, you think that a lot of those folks aren't going to want to avail themselves of Apple Music, Apple TV, uh, the health app and all the rest. I think that's where you're going to get growth. That could be bigger, Scott, long term, certainly, than the, tw the, the 12, the iPhone 12. That's what I'm banking on. And I believe the 12 is going to be spectacular with the launch. But I think the real revenue comes from all of these six categories. Yeah, I don't want you to pick on Kevin because... Bryn's another no, hater. Bryn's another <laughs> hater. Uh, right? She sold her, her shares. Now she owns them for clients. Makes that clear. She doesn't love it. She owns it for the clients. And she's not enamored with the revenue growth either. Bryn, are you? Well, so um, I think investing is so humbling. And this is such a great example of that is that, you know, I sold Apple 30 points ago. We had owned it with clients. We own it for clients with covered calls, which expire in January, which at this point will get called away because the stock has moved higher. So um, I owned it outright without calls. But I think that everything Kevin is saying is just factually accurate, right? The revenues are up cumulatively, I want to say 15% in five years. That being said, John is John and Katie Hewerty are are right in execution. And so that's where, you know, we have very large positions and MTUM and the queues. And, you know, Apple is almost 14 percent of the queues and it's six percent of MTUM. So we definitely own Apple. But I think that as you look forward and you wanted to compare, let's say, two big tech names, 
I can walk you through what Microsoft is doing, not only from a prior revenue growth, but from a future revenue growth with their Xbox subscription model, with LinkedIn, with the cloud, where you can kind of put together a narrative. And I just don't see that with Apple, and it is frustrating that, um, once again, I sold it earlier, but happy to have it run up because, once again, we own it in the queues and MTUM. The question, Joe, is it running up a little too hot into the, the event? No, I don't think it is. And when you're talking about uh, sales growth, uh, the average sales growth over the prior four quarters is 4% for Apple. In the most recent quarter, because of the work from anywhere experience, that has increased to 10% because you're going to get Apple probably selling 88 million of these new phones. You're going to see that sales growth double to nearly 20%. So you're finally seeing what Kevin is highlighting. There was an absence of sales growth. Now you're going to see that sales growth. You're also not going to see uh, a pairing back in the capital allocation strategy, the buyback intentions from Apple, and most S&P 500 companies are actually doing that. And then lastly, listening to John Fort last hour, I think he really talked about something that's important, and that is this launch is just not going to be about one quarter. This launch is going to be about the entirety of 2021. As 5G evolves, you'll see the speed getting faster and faster, and that will continue to attract and have uh, new buyers of the phone gaining momentum. And it's, it speeds up the refresh cycle again, D doesn't it, John? Is, isn't that one of the, the important angles? You've been waiting and waiting and waiting for 5G. Well, now's your moment. Yeah. Uh, think of how many of your friends, Scott, perhaps including you and me, uh, that have been waiting for a refresh cycle. I've got an 11 Max. Um, it's only a year and a half old or whatever, but I could, since I buy them outright and so forth, Scott, I could upgrade whenever I want. Haven't wanted to because there's not been a reason until now. Now I will. I wish that they would have done, as Kevin said, taken it to a higher res, a higher hertz rate. But this one's going to be great for me. It'll be great in terms of also spreading that signal out for my hotspot and so forth, because having a 5G hotspot will be a lot better than what it presently has. And I think this is going to be a driver, like Joe says, 88 million. That's the projection right now. That's allegedly how many of these phones they've ordered. I think you put those out there, Scott. And then, like I say, the billion people that are already on iCloud and then start wooing people in from why do you think they dropped Sonos and Logitech from the App Store? Because Apple Music, Apple Television, um, the fitness tracker, which is huge, of course, putting, giving that away, Scott, to get people in is a crushing blow to Android, um, much the way that Apple has done this in the past. This will be just like Disney with Disney Plus, Scott, when they offered that for free to Verizon subscribers and so forth. This is getting that camel's nose under the tent. And once it's under there, it's there to stay. Scott. How about this idea, though, Kevin, that what Bryn says, that Microsoft is the place to go? I mean, if you're looking for growth in mega cap tech, that Microsoft is the place you want to look. And oh, by the way, at Morgan Stanley today, they call Microsoft their top pick in software. 245 is the price target. They were already positive on it. They reiterate their overweight on that stock. Yeah, Kevin? Um, Microsoft is is unique. It is the only mega cap name, if all of them, that you find in quality dividend mandates and you find in tech mega growth mandates. 
There is no other name. It's remarkable. It's a Dynotech stock that remade itself. Everybody knows the story, but it's now in the high growth area. Such a difference between it and Apple, for example. And you find that, in my case, I have it in both mandates. It's the largest personal holding I have. It continues to grow and deliver. It's a cash flow beast. It's in every hot area you want, including gaming, at a time when gaming is taking over even from other forms of entertainment. It also is a stay-at-home stock, if you want to call it that. I prefer to call them work-anywhere stocks. We've standardized on the Microsoft 360 in all my small businesses. I can't find a flaw in this name, and I usually am good at finding flaws. I can't find any reason why you wouldn't want to make this your biggest holding for the next 36 months. And that's exactly where I find myself. And I have no reason to sell it. But Joe, we're not talking about an either or thing here, are we? You, you don't, as an investor, you don't have to make a choice between Microsoft and Apple, do you? No, I own them both. Uh, but I do agree with Kevin. Um, if you were to say to me you could only own one of the stocks, it would be Microsoft over Apple. But no. I own them both, and Microsoft, I think what's interesting about it is that Microsoft, I suspect, has less regulatory risk than the other mega cap technology names. And I think that's important for investors to also be understanding besides the diversification tailwinds that they benefit from. Wow. I mean, that's quite a statement. If you, if you had to make a choice, Joe, between Microsoft mm -hmm. and Apple, you would take Microsoft yes. over Apple. Yes, I would. Yeah. I wonder how many other people would agree with you um, on that, and maybe I'll, I'll have to look at Twitter to see uh, everything that's going to be flying in as a result of that. Um, there are other names that are getting calls today. Alphabet, New Street High, 2020, $2,020 at Deutsche Bank. Facebook gets a target raised to three twenty-five dollars at, at Deutsche Bank. Uh, Kevin, I mean, you basically own all of these big cap techs. Yeah, I find it very interesting, and Joe brought it up. He's right. There is an aura or a patina of regulation coming into the dialogue as we close in on the election. If it's a Biden sweep, there's probably, you know, a Democratic-led investigation at the you know, attorneys general level. Um, although I, I must say something that I find really interesting. I was looking at our digital spend, uh, again, in the small cap, mid cap space where at least I have, uh, you know, I can see what they're doing. And it looks like for the next two quarters, um, we will give 80% of our digital spend to both Instagram and Facebook. And the reason it seems when I talk to these CEOs, why is this happening? And remember, the reason we do this is we try and aggregate the purchase to try and get a better price or at least better services by just bulking up and saying we're bigger. You know, it's the, it's the strategy of a school of fish trying to look like a shark swimming together. That's what we're doing here. But we also, what I realized, this is 68% of where jobs come from in our economy. And here we are with politicians bashing Facebook, saying all these bad things about this. And the reason all these companies use it is they're able to geolock their spend in specific states or municipal regions. There's no other platform you can do that with. So if you're going to bash this company up, please do it after the pandemic, because I really need it right now to create American jobs. So if there's any politicians listening out there, bash it later, please, not <laughs> yeah. right now. We'll see what happens with, with big tech. Speaking of another one uh, that's been in the political crosshairs uh, every now and again, Bryn, is Amazon, which you just bought. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I bought it. I think that, you know, going into the Christmas season, um, Amazon will once again, right or wrong, will be um, the aggregator of choice for people going to buy gifts. I think it's got those good tailwinds. Jeff Bezos is send, spending a tremendous amount of money on a bunch of different areas outside of um, spaceships, um, health care. And so I just think there's some catalyst over the next few months that, that, that Amazon, you know, will be an outperformer. And I, and I don't think that from a regulatory standpoint, whether it relates to Google, Facebook, or Amazon, we don't even have the right rules right now to be able to regulate them. And so I think you're going to have to have a totally readdressment of the, the broader antitrust rules because they just don't fit the narrative of these companies and the issues that they're bringing up. So I think that that's going to be years out. And there's so much, to Kevin's point, there's so much bigger fish to fry right now is small businesses definitely need these platforms. And so, I mean, I think Amazon will do well going into Christmas. And that's why I bought it. And I do think that the regulatory framework is definitely much further out because we need to rewrite the laws to begin with. Joe, how much of, of this big tech ramp up ha has to do with stimulus and where we are there? Uh, no stimulus equals buy big cap tech, doesn't it? Correct. I think that's the strategy. Uh, it's been a proxy, a bond proxy, mega cap growth technology. It certainly has acted in a very defensive mannerism given the strength of free cash flow generation, given the low debt levels and the ability uh, to withstand maybe uh, a slowdown and buyback. So that has been the, the right strategy going forward. Uh, and I think, as I said before, will continue to be one. Just lastly, on the regulatory front, if you think for yourself uh, of all these big names, Scott, which one most likely would be broken up? I'm curious what others would think, but I would think that Facebook would be the most likely target. And that's one of the reasons why despite what Kevin talks about, the strength of the business, um, I have concern for owning it. Yeah. Um, look, it, it's, it, it, you may be right. It may be at the top of the list. They, they all may get a look. Uh, whether they actually get action is a whole other story um, altogether. So I want to talk about a couple of other tech stocks that, that have been in the, in, the, in the news, at least in our news here on the desk. Uh, Kevin, you bought more Zoom. And Kevin and Bryn, you both bought more Alibaba. Kevin, you tell me about Zoom, and then we'll go to the uh, Alibaba story. You know, I, I use all the different platforms practically every day. Different institutions have uh, compliance issues around different video platforms. But the one that I've been watching now, and, and I own and I've added to, obviously, is Zoom, because it's becoming a standard um, in its ease of use. It really is. And I, I, I know I, I don't want to make, you know, talk about the lack or the, the, what's missing in the other ones. But when I do these meetings now and when anybody can choose anything, because basically these are commodities in some ways, Zoom is, is, is a couple of turns ahead of everybody else in how the platforms work. The integrations with the worksheets, the integrations in adding and giving different rights to different participants. I recently did one with thousands and thousands of participants. It went flawlessly. When a, when a technology works and it becomes an adjective and it's a known brand and, and it you know, provides free education and all that, to me, it's, it's becoming a standard that somebody's going to have to pay for and take out at some point. And I've, I've, I added to it because I'm spending more and more on the licensing of that. They keep making the cost of owning the bigger corporate version more and more. And even though it makes me mad to pay more and more, I really don't have any choice. They have pricing power. When I see a company that has pricing power, I buy the equity to get back at them. Yeah, we're watching the stock uh, get a nice little move 
uh, as well in what's already been an incredible year. Alibaba, Bryn, tell us why you added. Yeah, well, so I think when you, when, you, when you add a new company, you want to have your thesis and then your catalyst. And so, you know, the thesis for the company is well known that you are capturing the growth, the long-term growth of the middle class in China. Because Alibaba is a very insulated inside of China. They do very little revenues outside of that. And the, the catalyst going forward, though, are, are, are multifold, multifold. First of all, you have the Chinese economy is dramatically doing better than most other countries because for, you know they've been able to travel around freely during this pandemic because they did a, a very, we'll say draconian shutdown, but that being said, it seemed to work. Going forward with Alibaba, they've now gotten into the cloud business. And as of last quarter, the cloud business was 8% of the revenues. So still very nascent and small, but that's going to be, we think, a hyper growth part of, part of the story going forward. And then finally, you know, Ant Financial, which is going to be IPOing, I believe, later this month in Hong Kong, will be probably the largest IPO ever. It's the old Alipay, and it's looking to the raising $30 billion, which would give it a valuation of around $200 billion. Well, Alibaba owns 35% of that. And so I think, and you also have finally, if you do get you know, Biden come in and win, I think that's going to be a tailwind to some of these Chinese names as well. So I see multiple catalysts. And you know, just today it broke out of that 300. It had been trading between 280 to 300 for some time. And so I think that it's got some good runway ahead of it with multiple catalysts to drive the multiples higher. Yeah. John, I mean, if we're if we're sort of making the statement that that tech is getting this ramp again because stimulus talks seem to be at an impasse. And as long as that remains the case, people are going to continue to buy those types of stocks. Piper Sandler today reiterates thirty six hundred on the S&P for year end. They say no stimulus, no problem. Fundamentals remain a concern, they say, as the economic recovery appears to be slowing and new coronavirus cases are on the rise across the U.S. and Europe. However, the market appears complacent with the progress for a vaccine at this time and also content with a stimulus deal coming either before or after the election. In other words, we're getting it one way or the other. Either we get it before or we get it after. If there's a blue wave, if Biden wins and they're going 3,600 and the market continues to ramp up as if it agrees with what Piper's saying. Yes, yeah, Scott. I mean, when when you're talking about stimulus, um, and this is something that uh, my, my friend Carl Quintanilla, your friend as well, and I go back and forth about all the time on Twitter. Um, we don't trade the economy. We trade the market. Um, now, some people say, well, the market's a surrogate for the economy, and we can talk about that at another time. But I'm saying the market goes higher regardless, Scott. If we get the stimulus now, the market goes higher in the relative short term. If we get a bigger stimulus in January, February, March, whenever it finally gets out there, yeah, that's going to benefit the market. My issue all along has been that, but people, the economy itself and people are the ones hurt by the delay of this. The markets love it either way, Scott, because, you know, heads they win, tails they win. They either get the stimulus now and drive us into the end of the year, or we get a bigger stimulus next year and drive us into 2021. Again, that's the market, though, not people. Yep. That's not the economy. That's the stock market. I hear you. But, Brent, I mean, if that's the case, if we're going to get stimulus one way or the other now or later, why then not buy reopen and, rec and recovery names? I mean, I think you have to look specifically, right, because these reopening names, some of them can sustain themselves over the next three or four months and some of them can't. I mean, because ultimately, I think that we're at a, we're at a moment here that, yes, we have a good 
some, you know, Republicans are saying we have a V-shaped economy, a recovery. That being said, there's so many non-publicly traded companies like restaurants, hotels, et cetera, movie theaters that need immediate stimulus. And so, I mean, if you have Biden come in, he's not the president until January. So what will we get then if we have to wait four or five months? I think that's terrible for such an important part of the economy. And it just looks so political. So yes. um, I think you have to be careful. And once again, invest very specifically with these reopening names to make sure they have the cash to move you know, into the new year if it takes that long before we get stimulus. Kevin, you're doing just that. I mean, you're, you're going specific and it's a reopening play with, with adding to your Disney holding, which, which you for a long time on this show said was a vaccine stock that you weren't going to go into it. And certainly, you know, the fact that you're adding to it um, surprises me because you've been adamant about where it you know, where it goes without a vaccine. Scotty, when the facts change, I change. And here's the facts that I really like about Disney's move. We just talked about movie theaters. I personally think movie theaters are the equivalent of VHS tapes. They are going to zero. And we will reposition that real estate for other things needed by the economy. Maybe condos, maybe cloud kitchens, maybe pick and pack. They're going to zero. So if you're Disney and you have tentpole titles, you've got titles that every family needs and wants and Disney titles as everybody that's raising kids know it's not just view it once view it 10,000 times and so what they're going to be doing on Christmas Day is taking a tentpole title that was scheduled to go into theater release all around the world and they're going to release it on their own streaming service now I like that story in a big way because I would like to start seeing tentpole titles like the James Bond movie at a premium price in my home the way I've been watching everything else now for seven months. I have been pre-programmed along with millions of other people that I'm never going back to a theater. Why do I need it? So Disney is going ahead of this trend and saying, look, not only am I talking about recovery globally, I know we, we still have virus issues here, but we will get through that in the next six to nine months, I hope, like everybody else does, which will be a big part of the Disney domestic story. But Disney International on streaming to have proprietary tentpole titles that are watched multiple times, that's very, very sticky. You know, you can prop a four-year-old in front of a Disney movie and show it to them a hundred times and they want to see it a hundred and first okay. so, time too. So if, if you're and so I love high that about the stickiness of if, that license. If you're so high on that, if you're so high on the streaming and you're so obviously high on, on Disney Plus, why do you say you're against Dan Loeb's plan for them to eliminate the dividend and redeploy that capital towards the streaming business, which he calls the greatest opportunity in the, I don't know, in the last 50 years for Disney? No, you don't have to be that radical. You don't have to do that. Disney is not, if I want that, Judge, I'll just buy Netflix. If I want something that doesn't pay a dividend and turns it all back into buying billions of dollars worth of titles, I have that play already. I get so much more with Disney, including the dividend. I like the theme parks. I like the brand. I like what it's doing in sports. I don't need an activist to go in there and rip the place apart to find out if that unlocks value. I think you lose the entire shareholder base, including me. Disney is part of my quality dividend strategy. It's a big holding. And I, frankly, when given a chance to vote that idea, will say, no, no, Nanette. No thanks, not interested. The management is embedded <laughs> in the culture of dividend. Leave it and let them continue to grow the streaming business the way they are because of their brand. Don't take my dividend away. Don't even think about it. <laughs> All right. We, uh, we're going to step away for a couple of minutes. We'll come back. We'll talk Twitter. It's flying high today on a very bullish call. The stock is already up 50% this year. 
We'll discuss how much higher it can go from here. We'll debate that next in our call of the day. A reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Facebook is removing all content that denies or distorts the Holocaust. The social media company calling it an extension of its policy on hate speech. Uh, Facebook noting that a recent survey showing almost a quarter of people aged 18 to 34 think the Holocaust is a myth, has been exaggerated or aren't sure it happened. The American Bar Association has given its highest rating to Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett, saying that she is well qualified to serve on the nation's highest court. In New York City, the police have handed out more than $150,000 in COVID-19 fines since Friday. The penalties are being imposed in the city's hotspots and include fines for five houses of worship that each organized events with hundreds of participants. And in Vietnam, deadly floods have killed at least 17 people over the last week. 13 are still missing. Flood supplies have been cut off to thousands of people, and another tropical storm is on the way. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right. Appreciate that, Sue. Thank you. Let's talk Twitter shares now. A five-year high today. The stock got upgraded to buy at Deutsche Bank. The price target, 56 bucks. They see improving growth in the second half of 2020 and into 2021. Our call of the day, Joe, you own it. I also want to note, as I send it to you right now, the Dow's up 300 points. The Nasdaq is up 300 points. Nasdaq is up 300 points, two and two-thirds percent, 11,881. Joe, it's yours. Yes, so as it relates to uh, Twitter, I purchased it uh, a few weeks back, talked about it on the show, and it was exactly for the reasons that are talked about in this note. You're seeing strength in both fundamental and technical factors. Five-year high today, I agree with the price target. That is my personal target. I believe you're going to see this stock to the mid to upper 50s. User engagement is coming back. Digital ads are returning once again. Uh, There seems to be momentum, and I think it goes beyond the pandemic. I think in terms of user engagement and the time that's spent on the platform, value will be recognized and that you will find uh, new users that have engaged that will remain with the platform longer than the experience of the pandemic. Well, wow. so the Terra Nova target was 56 also. Yes, sir. Good stuff. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, you own it. Cyclical recovery, well positioned, they say, to benefit from big event landscape in 2021. More positive feedback in the ad channel. Yeah, always good to own it uh, going into a big political event like an election for obvious reasons. But one thing that has happened on the platform, because I always look at the propensity of large corporate brands to use any social media platform, they've really gotten their act together in curating the platform. You, don't, you can block out the crazies. You can hire services to, to take any feed and make it a little less nuts, if that's the rest, best way to do it. They've added the tools to do that because it was a place where you got a lot of eclectic um, bots and you know people with maybe only three followers that want to use bigger platforms to get into very aggressive dialogues 
All of those have been repaired with new tool sets that make the big brands a lot more comfortable in placing their products and services there. And it took them a couple of years to get there, but I have to tell you now, as a user of the platform, I think we've got 700 and something thousand followers, and we're much more comfortable putting our brands and services on there now because we've been able to edit out all the, for lack of a better word, nutso stuff. So if everything you said is correct, which, you know, maybe it is, um, the stock's up 50% year to date, though, Kev. I look at the analyst landscape on it, you've got 26 holds. That's overwhelmingly the largest group of analysts have 26 holds on it, only 10 buys. I mean, the stock's up 50%. So isn't everything that you said already the reason why the stock's up 50%? Fresh money should go into Twitter today? It's the first time, I think, where, um, at least for me, where we are starting to consider spending on it. Um, it, 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 it takes a long time to change perceptions, particularly of very mainstream S&P 500 companies to use a new social media platform, you know, put it in their budgets. I already talked about how for small business, Facebook owns them at 80% plus, you know, whatever the number is, it's huge. But for large corporate clients, they're for the first time considering a 2021 20, spend on Twitter that they never considered before. So, you know, it, it, that, that took years. It took three years. And so I would say that for the first time, a lot more optimistic. I got introduced to this stock when Stephanie was complaining about it once when it was at $28 down from 38 in a matter of a week. And that's the first time I took the position on. And she had the same claims that one day corporations would advertise on it. I think she was right back then. And it's going to be right now. And I, I, that's why I think you're in the middle of a real transition to, a, you know, the coming of age, the golden age of Twitter, maybe. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, another uh, a bunch of calls today, too. Catching our interest, Rahel Solomon chasing those down for us and joins us once again. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. Good to be with you. So let's start with the best performer in the S&P right now. That would be Ford, up a little bit more than 6.5%. So this is on the heels of some positive headlines, including an upgrade to buy from hold at benchmark. Price target goes to 10 bucks. So analysts here are encouraged by the new leadership at Ford, better than expected third quarter performance, and they expect that momentum to continue. PepsiCo also gets an upgrade to buy, this time over at City. Price target here, $169. This is on a belief that Pepsi will continue to deliver top-line growth between 3 and 4% and also improve margins in its North American beverage business. And Scott, now to what seems like an avalanche of initiations on Snowflake. 16 total, 7 buys or overweights, and 9 neutrals or holds with price targets between $350 at Truist and $220 at Morgan Stanley. Goldman, which is one of the new buy ratings, says that it expects Snowflake to replace existing cloud providers in part because it's easier to use. Scott, of course, as you know, it has been public a little less than a month now. Yes, it has. And it's been a uh, amazing run, albeit short. Rahel, thanks. John, um, you buying Snowflake? I have been, Scott, um, and I'm happy. I, you know, I was angry. And uh, so, you know, you don't trade well when you're angry, just like that. Uh, Groundhog and Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, you know, don't drive angry, don't drive angry, don't trade angry. I couldn't get in on this IPO, Scott. <laughs> I was ticked, and so I didn't look at it for a while. Then I started getting in. The reason I wanted in in the first place, Scott, was this is an alternative data, and it makes it so much easier. So Snowflake, great stock. Now they're finally getting some option volume starting to cook in there too, Scott. 
I think this will be one that you really want to keep your eye on. I agree with Rahel's and all those analysts' comments. Yeah. Kev, quickly, I mean, even Kramer's come around to it, who was saying 100 times sales, no way. Uh, but now he read some, some of these analyst notes and was like, wow, okay. So some of these things I didn't realize. <laughs> uh, and now he's a buyer of it. Would you be a, are you a buyer of Snowflake? Kevin? Hello? Oh, sorry. Uh, no. 104 times sales <laughs> is ridiculous. But here's my real problem with it. Tell me, riddle me this. I'm Microsoft. I'm Amazon. I'm Google. You're going to tell me that I don't have the buying power of engineers. I don't have the talent. It's impossible for me to link analytics to my database. That's ridiculous. Of course they're going to have competition. Of course. And this is not a B2C play. This is a B2B play. So it's not like it's a brand that everybody in America knows, oh, I've got to have Snowflake. No, 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 no. Microsoft is going to fix what's missing in Azure. Google will do the same with their cloud. Bezos, you think he's sitting on his hands saying, 104 times sales? Maybe I want a piece of that action. Maybe I'll just fix my database. Maybe they just do it do you better. you think he can do that? I say yes. Maybe they yes. do it better. Well, you, that's you, my whole point. Why would you take that risk? I, I can't believe anybody would pay 100 times sales for anything, but don't hit me because I own a couple of stocks that are 100 times sales right now. But at least they have a reason. They have a protectable brand inside of the consumer play. This is B2B, so it's different. This is margin crushing eventually. This is competition from Microsoft. And tell me a company that has ne it's better than Microsoft at ripping off a good idea and two years later making it theirs and doing it better than ever before. Nope. That's all they do. Nope. They're great at that. No two snowflakes are alike though, Kevin. Remember that, right? It's not like you can just come up with something else. Okay? You remember that. We'll take a quick break. Up next, big ETFs to watch today as we go to break. A check on the S&P sector heat map. Pretty big day for the S&P. It's up 60. One and three quarters percent led by technology. We're back after this. Hello, all. Bob Pisani with the ETF Edge portion of our show. Amazon Prime Day tomorrow. ETFs are all over that story. Let's talk with Simeon Hyman. He's ProShares and Ed Rosenberg with American Century. Simeon, Amazon Prime Day tomorrow. You have two big retail ETFs that have been killing it this year. The ProShares Long Online Short Stores ETF. That's C-L-I-X, Clicks. The ETF there up 82% this year. Huge outperformance. It's Long Online and your short brick and mortar, do you feel that strategy is going to continue to work into 2021? Yeah, indeed, Bob. Let me play like a lightning rod. I'll give you four reasons. Number one, if you look at Q2, this is, takes people by surprise. The transition is earlier than you think. You have not missed it. Only 16% of retail sales were online in Q2. So 84 cents were spent in brick and mortar stores, and a lot of them were closed. Number two, the pandemic acceleration, that 16 was up from 11, but likely to be sticky. Think about a quadrupling of penetration in the laggard groceries and also the stickiness of changes in, in share from folks like Chewy, which are 70% subscription. So those new customers are sticky. Or Etsy, which has a, a, so many more eyeballs after 15% of their sales came from masks. Number three, fundamentals. You look at Walmart, which has become the um, number two online retailer, but over 10 years, their reward for that has been shrinking margins, while Amazon's have doubled. 
So the fundamentals point towards the online folks. And finally, if you see acceleration and performance like that, you worry about valuation. Let me give you the following surprising note. If you look at the relative valuation of the on, our online basket, the ProShares online retail basket, and you compare that to consume to the, in, the tech sector, we're trading at half the price to book of three or four years ago. So at least on a relative basis, I know it's hard to do absolute valuation these yep. days. Not as expensive as you might think. Okay, at American Century, you had you're one of many funds that launched an ESG ETF earlier this year. That's ESGA is the symbol. These funds are all raking in money this year, but there is increasing criticism. Last week or a week and a half ago, Burton Malkiel did an editorial in the Wall Street Journal saying ESG still doesn't have a coherent investment methodology. Is ESG in danger of faltering or suddenly suffering from a lot of backlash? No, I mean, I think ESG, we're just in the first inning of it. If you look at ESG and compare it to something like value, there's a lot of different ways to go about going about value. There's same a lot of ways to go about looking at ESG and defining it. You have traditional, which is exclusionary, as a starting point. You have digging into the companies and finding out really where environmental, social, or governance is. And quite frankly, then there's impact. And there's a lot of different ways to look at ESG and think about how it would fit into your portfolio. Um, I don't think it's dead at all. I think we're just in the beginning. I think overseas, there's been a lot of use of ESG long before the U.S., and the U.S. is really starting to pick up, specifically this year, as flows into ESG ETFs have been higher than they have in previous years, and it's only going to continue as we go forward. Okay, gentlemen, thanks very much. Join us at 105 Eastern Time. Our ETF Edge show is going to be then. We're going to go much greater depth on retail ETFs. We're going to discuss the impact the election could have on the ETF business. That's ETF Edge. CNBC.com. Halftime Report will be back in 30 seconds. We're back. Cloudera is struggling to hold gains this year. Options traders, though, see opportunity ahead. Doc, tell us what the trade is. All right, Scott. Well, one of the trades is that this is what Kevin was looking for, somebody that competes with Snowflake. Uh, obviously, big data and mining that. And this is what Cloudera does, Scott. The 23rd of October, in other words, two weeks from now, this expiration, they're buying the 12-strike calls. They bought them in big numbers early this morning. Now it's up over 25,000 contracts. That's 2.5 million share equivalent. I'm in. I'll probably be in about a week, Scott. Second trade, real quick, uh, LI. This is uh, electric cars, EVs, if you will. They're in here buying the November 2250 calls. Big numbers here as well, over 6,000. I bought those. I'll probably be in these most of a month, Scott. All right, good stuff. John, thank you. A quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk futures next. Let's do the futures outlook now. Natural gas futures touching the highest level since January of 2019. Now up around 30% on the year. Scott Nations of Nation Indexes joins us now for the trade. What do you have today, Scott? Well, Scott, they're up 50%, more than 50% over just the last three months, 15% this month. What we have right now is Nat Gas is rallying due to 
you know, just seasonal cold weather. That's expected. Hurricane Delta, which is unexpected, is also slowing production. But, you know, supply is still historically robust, about 11.5% above the average, five-year average, for this time of year. That said, Scott, if we're all going to be hunkered down until spring of next year, I do want to be long that gas because we're going to be burning a lot of it to heat our home. So I want to be a buyer of the December contract. This is the December contract, which is the second contract, not the November one, because that's going to go off the board soon. I want to be a buyer at $3.15, as you can see right there. Target to the upside, $3.95. And my stop is $3.05. Really tight stop in natural gas because we don't want it to get away with us, get away from us. So you see there, max risk is $1,000. Uh, we'd be making 8000 but Scott, this is one of these trades I'm going to manage. If, if we get in it and it starts to work, I'm going to be raising my stop and my target as we go. All right. Good stuff. Scotty, thank you. Scott Nations joining us next. Thanks, we'll man. come back. Bryn has a new buy. Plus, we'll do final trades. Monster day right now for the NASDAQ. Looking here, up better than 300 points, two and three quarters percent. Tech is on the run today. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We'll do final trades in just a minute. But, Bryn, we have some business to take care of. Boeing, a new buy on your list. Tell us why. So, you know, I I think that with Boeing, I think Boeing has, like, two potential paths. That it goes the way of GE, and you have, you know, they can't get out of their own way. Or they actually turn things around. 737 MAX comes online. We do travel again, and the stock is incredibly cheap. You know, I think Jim said it a few weeks ago. He said, you know, you have the, the defense business, and then you somewhat have a free call on the airline business. So I think it's a really cheap stock. It could easily go into the mid-220s with just having no bad news and a little bit of good news. So I thought it was a good entry point. I actually bought leaps um, that go out, which are long-dated options, going out January of 2022, so I have some time on my side. And I thought it was a good value name that, as we do get a recovery, um, has the potential to have really nice returns. Can you give me 10 seconds or so on pure storage? We showed it on the screen, and I just want to let people know that was another one. Yeah, it's a smaller company. It's got about a $5 billion market cap. Pure storage IPO'd in 2015. You know, they do flash um, they do flash um, technology around data centers. And it's kind of like the opposite of the, the top fang names is I want to buy future companies that I think can have really high revenue that aren't trading at trillion-dollar market caps. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. Let's do some final trades. Kevin O'Leary, you can go first. I noticed you also have new buys, too. Roche, Nestle, So many good things going. Yes. Yep. But uh, for final final (laughs) trades for me, it's got to be Alibaba. There's so many good things heading into this uh, election. It's it's not going to be a stock that will be volatile to the U.S. election. And it represents, if you own Amazon, you've got to own Alibaba. It represents the pure play on China. It's fantastic. All right, good stuff. Thank you. Doc, quick. Data dog, Scott. DDOG bought it during the show. All right, Joe. Caterpillar, 7.5% away from an all-time high. Bryn, what's the name? CRISPR Therapeutics. Okay, good stuff. Kevin, as I was saying, Roche, Nestle, Pool Corp, West Pharma, Perkin, Elmer. You can tweet about those, Kevin, as to why you bought those. Thanks for watching. The Exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC.